Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message is taken from our gospel reading from Mark chapter 6 with an emphasis on these words. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, amen. I'm going to take a gamble this morning, and I'm going to assume that most of you here who were of age in the late 80s, all the way up through the early 2000s, have at least heard the name Tony Hawk. Mr. Hawk, for the uninitiated, is credited with bringing uh, the skateboarding scene into mainstream consciousness, and he invigorated the sport through his jaw-dropping and oftentimes gravity-defying performances at skateboarding competition for the better part of three decades. Most notably, uh, Tony broke the mold for future skaters by becoming the first man ever to achieve a 900-degree aerial spin on a skateboard, and for those of you like me who aren't the best with math, that's two and a half rotations. Over his long and illustrious career, he inspired many young men and women to pursue competitive skateboarding, and he's often called the father of extreme sports. And yet, despite all of these accolades and all of these achievements and video games and everything else credited to his name, Mr. Hawk is generally reported as being a kind of down-to-earth, humble, and oftentimes self-deprecating personality. Now in his 50s, but still very active in advertising and in public appearances, one of his favorite habits in interviews, we're told, is to poke fun at himself by telling some humorous stories about interactions that he has with fans and with strangers. One of his favorite stories, the one that I want to share with you this morning, usually involves himself being occupied in something mundane, like waiting to order food or stuck in line at the bank or the airport, when suddenly he's approached by a much younger fan. Ready and willing to have a brief chat or perhaps to sign an autograph, Tony readies himself when someone approaches him. They always say something like, hey, wait a minute, I think I know you. Oh, really, do you? He says playfully. And then the punchline, oh yeah, I, I totally know you. You were that dude in the Subway commercial, right? (laughs) 30 plus years as a professional skateboarder, multiples awards, medals, titles, charitable trust and foundations that have been created in his name. And what do people know you for, says Tony? Shilling sandwiches during a 15 second YouTube ad. You know, friends, in a kind of irony that you just can't make up, The same thing is not only true of Tony Hawk and many celebrities of our day, but we even saw the very same thing happen with Jesus himself as a direct result of the miracle that we read about in today's gospel text. You see, the feeding of the 5,000 is arguably Jesus' most well-known miracle. And why is this? Have you ever stopped to consider? Well, think about it. It's it's oftentimes because of its very physical, worldly, intangible nature. It doesn't take an astute theologian to see that in filling us up with food, God shows that he provides us our daily bread. 
with a paltry five loaves of bread and two measly fish, the Son of God, we see, is able to provide physical nourishment to a massive crowd of 5,000 men besides women and children with enough left over to fill 12 full baskets. After this watershed moment in Jesus' career, the crowds that followed him never again ebbed in size. Rather, they doggedly followed him from one city to the next, hoping to be part of the next instant that Jesus would provide for them free food to satisfy their hungry bellies. As Jesus continued to perform various signs and wonders among the people, not only were they filled up, but among those closest to him, among his 12 disciples, a certain realization began to creep up on them the more they saw that this Jesus, this humble-looking carpenter from Nazareth, he was the real deal. All of the signs which he performed indicated that Jesus was, in fact, the long-promised Messiah, that these things that he was doing, they weren't just parlor tricks, they weren't just for a paycheck or for fame. They, in fact, were revealing to the people the coming glory that the Messiah was promised to usher in. Likewise, they saw that his words were substantive. What Jesus said would come true, and as they heard more and more, well, they began to be kind of disturbed at what he was prophesying. Betrayal, persecution, arrest, beating, and crucifixion. Not to mention the signs that were for the whole church, the the signs of the end times, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Yet, attached to all of these things was his ever-present word of promise. These things, he assured his disciples, they must all happen in order for his glory to be revealed and for mankind, steeped in sin, to be reconciled to God, their Father. These mighty signs of things to come, it wouldn't be long before the light bulb would at last go off and that filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples would recognize clearly what it was that Jesus was showing them. They would proclaim his mighty works to all those they encountered after the day of Pentecost. They would go out and they would bring his church to every nation, to all tribes and races and peoples. But many of those people, not the least of which 5,000 which we saw here today, which rapidly grew in number, many of them were just there for the bread. They recognized Jesus only as a bread king, as a worker of miracles and a meal ticket for all those who followed and who obeyed him. But when it came time for the most important work of the Christ, when it came time for his suffering and death upon Calvary's cross for the sins of the whole world, well, those crowds began to disperse. Or worse, many of them turned on him. When the loaves and the fish dried up, so too, they assumed, were all the things that this Jesus of Nazareth had to offer them. And friends, sadly, I tell you, that this mistake of the crowds, it was not rectified by Jesus' resurrection from the dead or even his ascension into heaven and the planting of the church. 
No, for there are still, we see, those fair-weather followers of Jesus who to this very day remain convinced that all that he has to offer is mere material gain. They urge you to follow Jesus for food for your belly and for nothing more. Follow him, they say, and the world will reward you with good karma. Or maybe with recognition from your peers. Or maybe with that pay raise that you so desperately need. Or perhaps just some other stroke of good fortune. Yes, we see that despite all of Jesus' accomplishments, despite his preaching and teaching and healing, despite the forgiveness of sin shown to us on Calvary's cross, despite the life and the salvation that we hear proclaimed to us week in and week out at the Christian church, still, all that the world sees of Jesus is a mere vendor of bread and fish. And, dear friends, the great wonder of this miracle, the, the majesty that was shown to us in the feeding of the 5,000, it goes clear over their heads. It goes completely unappreciated. I want to pause with you guys this morning, and I, I want to actually reflect on the mighty sign that was shown to us by this great miracle. Have you guys ever stopped to consider just how far out, how mind-blowing this act of Jesus truly is? Well, think about it with me for a moment. God, that is the same God, the almighty, invincible, omniscient, omnipotent, creator of the heavens and the earth, he puts on man's flesh and blood, and he descends from his throne in the heavens to meet with poor, miserable sinners like you and me. And so meeting them, what does he do? He goes around performing miracles. He goes around forgiving sins and trespasses. He goes around the towns and the countrysides and the region of Judea, and he goes about healing and teaching. But as he does so, he sees that the great crowds that follow him are hungry. And this same Lord God of heaven and earth has pity on these people and he takes time out to share table fellowship with them. He presides over a meal for a crowd of people who neither knew who he was nor what he came to do. But Jesus, in giving food to the disciples to distribute to the masses, he shows us that ours is a God who is not only concerned with those things which are intangible to mortal man, the forgiveness of sins, our souls, our spirits, but he is also concerned with the tangible, with our bodies, with the needs of our flesh. For you see, this Jesus, this God incarnate, he is the one who brought both body and soul into being. He is the one, the only one, who is able to feed and nurture both body and soul to their satisfaction. Looking up into heaven and speaking his word of blessing, our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, he institutes this food as an instrument to make known his providence, not just to the 5,000 who were with him there that day, but to the whole Christian church in all times and in all places. 
This miracle he performs not just once at the time of his incarnation, but for all the church on earth which congregates together to receive him once more this day in the sacrament of the altar. There he gives his very flesh and blood for us as a token that he is ever with us through the common elements of ordinary bread and humble wine. Christ, in doing this, remains sustenance for our bodies as we take and eat and drink of Him, and as we go out from this place so nourished to provide for the needs of our neighbor in both body and spirit, through the work of His body, the church. Jesus, as Christ, is true food for your body. And so, this greater body which you are a part of is given for the sake of service to Christ. As the disciples distributed the gifts which he gave through his miraculous work to the hungry crowds, so are you and I, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, called by him to share the gifts which we have received with our neighbors. We who are privileged to receive his blessing and benefit through the word and through the sacraments, we are also called to give freely according to that measure of grace which has been shown us. Not only in our bodies, not only in our money, our food, our clothing, our resources, but also those gifts of the Spirit. We are called to share the forgiveness of sins. We are called to share in Christian fellowship, in the love of our Lord, which is shown to us here in this place. In the distribution of these things, our Lord Jesus Christ, He has shown to us to be so much more than a mere bread king. Grace upon grace is demonstrated by the work of Jesus Christ in his church, the body which is appointed for the giving of his gifts. As we gather to receive him, so may we earnestly desire above all things to share him to those around us, that others may taste and see the goodness which has been freely distributed here to us by the token of his blessed gifts. And friends, as we go out, as we do indeed share his grace, as we do indeed help and serve our neighbor, we let Christ be recognized for who he is. Through our actions, others may come to see that he is the God who gave his very body upon the tree of the cross so that our bodies might rise to newness of life at the resurrection on the last day. May the foretaste given by token of his body and blood, serve to strengthen us and to preserve us steadfast unto the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom without end, where all who have believed on him, all who have received his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his gifts, they shall all of them take their seat in the heavenly banquet hall. There, they will once more take true food from the hand of their Savior. There, in deathless bodies, all shall eat again and be satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in the same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.